I want to say, as we begin this morning, uh, I'm Sam Fowler. I preach at the Mount Washington Church of Christ congregation in Mount Washington, Kentucky. Uh, It is a teeming metropolis, especially about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, Otherwise than that, it's relatively a, a quiet place to live. We have a wonderful congregation there that have let me come to be with you during this week. And in my stead this morning, my son, Sean, is preaching. So I'm thankful for them allowing me to be here. I'm thankful for the invitation to come and to be with you uh, for these next coming times together through Wednesday night. Uh, my wife, Deborah, is with me tonight, uh, with me today and this evening. She'll be going home tonight, and uh, I'll be by myself this week. So the good sermons will be today is all I'm trying to tell you. Uh, so... Uh, our, our theme we're, we're, this week, we're, we're, we're looking at shiniest lights in the world, and we're going to start this morning with looking at a supreme Christ in a broken world. A supreme Christ in a broken world. And I think we can all agree that we're living in a broken world. Uh, and it's been broken a long time. And that's the world that we live in. And, it, and for us, uh, if, if you're as old as possibly as I am, uh, things have changed a lot in your lifetime in the United States of America and, and worldwide too. And you might say, well, some of it's been for the good. That's true, but a lot of it's been for the not so good, for the bad. But we live in a broken world and we have two particular worldviews. And I'll go ahead and see if I can get this. Uh, there we go. Great. Uh, we have two particular worldviews today. And that we have a secular humanist worldview. And that's, we would call that biblically, that would be a worldly or carnal worldview. And that worldview looks at mankind as nothing more uh, than a cosmic accident. He's just a, a product of, evolu- of evolution, and that we started out uh, as a piece of protoplasm or amino acids or whatever, and the lightning struck us enough times, and then billions of years later, here we are. Uh, but mankind is nothing more than a perchance being uh, in a universe that is mindless and soulless and, and has really no particular purpose within it, and that, that that gives man certain liberties within his life. The second worldview, uh, that second worldview is the worldview of Scripture. And that's the worldview of, of Christian theism. And, and I'll simplify that for you. That means that Christ is God. Jesus is God. And that Christ being God gives a totally different way of looking at human beings. And we're going to look at that in length here this morning about how does it perceive a man. How does it look at a man? How does it look at the value of a man? How does it look at the purpose of a man? How does it look at the future of a man and why we are here and and those great important questions? We're going to look at four questions that affect the the view not only of of man but also of the ethics of a man and how that a man conducts himself and what is right and what is wrong. And so looking at a supreme Christ, looking at Christ as God, Jesus as God, affects the way we view life. And in a, in, a, in a marvelously wonderful way. And, but there are a lot of people that argue contrary to that, that we need to get rid of religion. We need to get religion out the door. Religion's all of our problems. Religion's caused all of our, 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 our wars. And religion is responsible for all the deaths. And while I'm there, let me, let me get on my soapbox a little bit, if you don't mind. When somebody says to you, well, and, and you may or may not have this conversation. I have. When somebody says, well, religion is responsible for more deaths than any other cause in human history. You stop them right there. That is absolutely, totally false. That is a false statement. Now, has there been conflicts over religion? Sure. Plenty of them. 
But in comparison to a secular humanist mindset, it pales. Absolutely pales against that. And let me give you a few figures right quick. You may remember a fellow named Mao Zedong. Mao Zedong was the, uh, the leader of Red China, Communist China. He was a revolutionary. Mao Zedong in the 60s created what is called the Cultural Revolution. In the Cultural Revolution, he killed between 50 and 75 million of his own Chinese citizens who did not comply with the rules of the Cultural Revolution. Now, I'm here to tell you that Mao Zedong was a godless, atheistic, power-hungry human being. And that's what he did. You may, not, you may remember a fellow called Pol Pot. Pol Pot was another communist leader in Cambodia who killed a million of his own citizens. You may have heard, heard of the killing fields. He killed a million of his own citizenry there under the regime of communist Cambodia. The Stalin and Lenin days of, of, of Russia, of the former Soviet Union, killed around 15 million of their own Russian citizens by sending them either Samir or the salt mines because they did not want to comply with the communist regime. Now, with all those numbers, you may be saying, oh, well, Sam, that's horrible. It is horrible. We haven't stopped. Is the communist China put in a one-child policy? And between the days of putting that policy in and today, almost a half a billion, billion with a B, of unborn children have been killed in communist China. So when somebody says to us, well, religion is responsible for all these horrific deaths, you can look them right in the eye and say, you're dead wrong. Secular, humanist, atheists are responsible for the greatest tragedies in human history. And the 20th century was bloodied by these type of men with the wrong world view. There's four questions. Four really important questions that you have to, that we ask here. Who am I? Why am I here? What is wrong with the world? And how can this wrong be made right? Who am I? Why am I here? What's wrong with the world? How can this wrong be made right? Who are you? Now, if you're a secular humanist, I've already answered that question. You're just a cosmic accident. It's, you know, you're nothing more than something that happened per chance. And you're a product of amino acids that have been mutated over billions of time. By the way, my friends and brethren, let me say something to you very clearly from a scientific perspective here, is that this type of evolution has already been debunked. It's just it's totally denied by people who want to continue to believe it. And if you don't believe that, I'll put you on some literature that will show you that that's, that's absolutely the case. Doug Axe has mar- authored a marvelous book on this very topic, Stephen Myers. And these are scientists, brethren. They're, they're not members of the Lord's Church. But I tell you what, they have shown repeatedly and astoundingly that evolution is absolutely untrue in the sense of amoeba to man man evolution. Number two, why am I I here? Now, if you're a secular humanist, you're going to answer that question that I'm here to consume and to enjoy. I'm here to take in as much as I humanly possibly can. Who remembers here Lee Iacocca? I know I'm really dating us here. Lee Iacocca, if you've got gray hair, you're probably going to remember him here this morning. Lee Iacocca at one time was president of the Chrysler Corporation. I believe he's still alive. He's a very elderly man now. Uh, he had worked at Ford, and there came a day when he got the U.S. government to bail Chrysler out. But Chrysler began to make money hand over fist because they made a little something called a minivan. And when they started making minivans, Chrysler came back. And Lee Iacocca was making a whole lot of money. And one day they asked Lee Iacocca, you know, when he was making gobs of money as president, CEO, he said, how much is enough? 
Mr. Iacocca, and this is what he said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Ever feel like that? I know I do. You know, being satisfied, being contented, and we live in a time where we, we kind of think, well, you know, just get all that you can, consume all that you can, enjoy all that you can. And that, that's all that you're going to he- be here for anyway. It's not going to really matter. When you're going to be dead, you're going to be dead all over like a rover, so don't worry about it. Let's get on with this thing. Why am I, how am I, why am I here? What's wrong with this world? I'll tell you that a secular humanist is going to tell you that what's wrong with the world is we're insufficiently educated. We are not sophisticated enough. We need more education, and we need people to be educated now. We need people to think in a certain way. And it seems like we need to think about like a, a small number of folks here who decide they know more than everybody else. So if everybody's got more education, by the way, I'm not against education in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But brethren, what's wrong with us is not we're, that we are uneducated. That's not what's wrong with us. There are some things that are wrong with us. Turn, if you would, in your Bible this morning to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. In verse 12, it says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. If you would just back up in this, this same passage, chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Verse 20, where is the wise, where is the scribe, where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Brethren, there was education, there was wisdom, there were people who were philosophers, some of the greatest philosophers in human history came from the age of which the New Testament was written. There was plenty of folks who were thinking high thoughts way back then. And I'm here to tell you that that and the education of those peoples did not solve what was wrong with the world. And that's our, our final point here on this slide, is, is what, how can this wrong be made right? Secular humanist world is going to say, I'll tell you what, give us more education, give us more sophistication, and give us more government. Give us more government. Now, I'm, I'm not using this as a political platform in any way, but this is the way that it runs. And whoever is in power is going to dictate what everybody does. Turn if we your Bibles to Daniel, the third chapter. What happens when you give men all power? When you make a select group of men, have to answer to no one. When they, in their philosophies, will have to be believed by everybody else. What happens? Daniel found out firsthand. Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was... Sixty cubits, and it's went six cubits, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word together together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Uh, if you haven't figured this out, Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's God. 
He's going to set up an image about himself and he's, he's sending out the word to all the governmental officials for you to show up in verse third, verse three. So the satraps administrates the governors, counselors, and treasurers, and the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now we might say, well, he's just setting up an image and he wants everybody to honor that. Then a herald cried aloud to you, it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and, and symphony, with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now, brethren, this is the end of this type of thinking every time. Every time is that man becomes the object to be worshipped. And that a powerful man becomes the object to be bowed down to every time. And that is the danger and the trap of human pride is that they get caught up in who I am and how much I know and how much power I can wield and how, how many people's lives are in my hands. And to the point of where whether they set up an image or not, it is about the worship of people. Whenever there were select, select few men here who decided not to do this, and we know. In verse 6, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. We know what happens next. We know that there were three men who denied doing that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which were, the, which were their Babylonian names. And they trusted in God. But in verse 13, the Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. And you know what? The, the response of these men to, uh, to, to the king Right to his face. In verse 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. And we know what happened next. They got thrown into the fiery furnace, and Almighty God delivered them out of that. But the rage of Nebuchadnezzar in the face of not falling down and worshiping a human being was so intense that he had these men heat up the fire seven times hotter, and the men who threw them in died, and God spared the lives of these godly men. So, godless men with all power will surely make everything right. I'm going to give you a chance to breathe because I need a little chance to breathe right now. Godless men with all power will surely make things all things all things right. When has that ever happened? Never. It has never happened. And it will never happen. Turn to what in your Bibles, Colossians, the first chapter. We need to see how our Lord answers these questions. How did Jesus answer these questions? By the way, Jesus has all power in heaven and in earth been given to him. He reigns at the right hand of God. All are subject to him. And all will bow to him. He has all power. He is the only truly righteous king in the history of humanity. And he answers these questions for us so beautifully. Who am I? In Colossians, the first chapter, 
We're going to read there. I know this is a passage that in no way probably is new to anybody here this morning. But I love it. I love this passage. I I love the writings of our great friend and apostle Paul. And we're going to be studying at length about him through this week. And I tell you what, to me it is so encouraging to look at his life and what he went through and what he was and how God was working so mightily in his life to produce the person that he became. In Colossians, the first chapter, I want you to read, please, in verse 15. Colossians 1, 15. He, I'm going to slow down. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And you might be saying, Sam, why are we reading about Jesus when we're trying to answer this question about, uh, if I get the slide up, about who am I? Why are we reading about Jesus, about Jesus as the creator? And let me reiterate that to you one more time, please. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So Jesus... The Christ, the Son of the living God, the Word who became flesh, is responsible for creating all things. And in the creation of all things, what does that include? Who does that include? It's a class, you can answer me. It includes you. That includes you. It includes me. It includes every human being. And it includes every human being, whether we would think that person is is defective. Or they have a physical deformity. Or they have a mental uh, disability. Every human being is a product of the creation of Almighty God through the person of Jesus Christ. Every one of us. Who are you? Who am I? I am the created being of Almighty God. That's who we are. I use this illustration with, with my, my, my young people, my kids. I might have shared this with you a few years ago. It's been a few years. I've forgotten. Maybe you've forgotten. You know what? What if you could create an ant? What if you could create an ant? One ant. What would you do with it? One ant. By the way, we haven't found out how to create anything. We just rearrange stuff. We're, we're great rearrangers. But if you could create one ant, wouldn't that be awesome? Create a living, a tiny little living thing. And you know what? Ants are amazing. You know, they can lift many times their weight. They, they work about without having any instruction. You know, they build, they move. They're incredible little beings. But, but you could just create one, one little tiny ant that, that, that you could carry. Would you, would you be proud of it? What would you do with your ant? If you could create an ant, you would be, by the way, the most famous person in the world. If you could create an ant. So what would you do with your ant? I'm going to show it off. I'm showing off my ant, buddy. I'm on the evening news. Sam, ant creator. I'm going to be the ant man. That's who I'm going to be. I'm going to be the ant man. I created an ant. And I'm going all over the world to show everybody I created an ant. Now, would I have the right in this creation to take care of the ant in the way I saw fit? I made it. Would I have rules for my ant? Would I shouldn't should or should not be done with my ant? Would you think I would protect it from being killed? Now, have you ever killed an ant? Shame on you. Okay, thank you. All right. 
You, know, you can't kill my aunt. I would take care of this aunt and love this aunt and show my aunt off and make sure other people didn't kill my aunt. Because I created that aunt. And nobody else can create one except me. That's just an aunt. Something that you and I step on. You've you got a bottle of Raid in your house because they're coming in your house and you're just wiping them bad boys out. That's what you're doing. That's what we do. That living little creature. You know, we don't think anything about that. But what about if you create a man, a human being, and this human being is made in your image? You know, I, I'm a father, and I'm a grandfather. I'm telling you, being a granddad is pretty special. There'll be some granddad stories this week, so get ready to be bored. That's all I can tell you. All right? So, but you know, when your children, if you look at my children, they're yours. Well, you can't deny they're yours. You're right. And you know what? God can't deny that we're His. Because we are made in His image. We are the crowning achievement of the Creator God of the universe. We're the only beings that are made within His image. We're the only sanctious, conscious, eternal beings that have ever been and shall ever be made that are to be placed on planet Earth. Now, God has made other beings, don't get me wrong. The angelic world God created. But what is on the earth is us. And who we are and who I am and who our children are and who everybody we don't know is and those people that are across the pond someplace that we will never know. They are created in the image of the Creator God. And by the way, we are the only permanent thing in the universe. Did you know that? Everything else will be destroyed. You, however, will live eternally. Because that's the nature of your Father. Who am I? I'm the crowning achievement of God. What's my purpose? Same passage, if you would, please. 116, one more time. You'll notice there that he says... He says, for by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and, somebody answer me, last three words, and for him. They're created through God, but they're also created for God. I've been created with purpose. There's a reason I'm here. Does that give you some comfort this morning that you got a reason? Does it do you good every day if you got a reason to get up? You got something to do, something you got to perform, some, some task you got to go to. You know, some of us got to get up, you know, go to, you know, go to a job. I owe, I owe, it's off to work, I go. Uh, that may be your life. You know, the reason you got to get up, going to take care of your children or your babies or you're going to, you're going to get up and you do something special. You might be going to get up and go on a little vacation, whatever it is. But having a purpose in your life is a grand thing. You have a purpose, but it's far greater than those things right there. You have a purpose, and that is to glorify your Father. That is to honor, to venerate, to raise Him up so that people will see what He created and the image He created it to be because you have submitted to Him. If you turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians, the second chapter. Ephesians chapter 2. My page is sticking together. It must be the humidity. All right. 
Verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Brethren, salvation is the gift of God, although we are bound to respond to the gift in the way that he has prescribed. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, but there are works that are involved in our lives. Brethren, verse 10, For we are his workmanship. I told you, you are the crowning achievement of Almighty God. He's made you, he's created you in Christ Jesus for good works. We have a purpose. Why am I here? To do the good works that my Creator has prescribed. That's why I'm here. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So how long has God had a purpose for you? Always. Brethren, my beloved... My friends, and by the way, I recognize your faces. I'm not holding on to the names too well. I have slept since 2014. So I'm going to need your help today. Please don't come play tricks on me. If you're new here, come tell me you remember me from 2014. (laughs) We've been created with purpose. To do, to walk, to be in. Good works, and that purpose was prepared before there was a world. Before there was a universe beforehand. You've had a purpose since the beginning of time. And that is to walk in the good things, the good works that your Father has created for you to do. What's wrong with this world? How much time have I got, by the way? Fifteen minutes. I can do this in fifteen minutes and fifty-nine seconds. Oh, I mean, fourteen minutes and fifty-nine seconds. Okay. What's wrong with this world? Go back to Colossians, if you would, please. And, and brethren, no way am I trying to minimize verses 17 and 18. They're incredibly powerful passages concerning the headship of Christ to the body, the church, and being firstborn from the dead. I tell you what, they, he has preeminence in all things. We need to note that in verse 18. For it pleased the Father, verse 19, that in him all the fullness should dwell. The fullness of God has been in the person of Jesus Christ. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, that means to make peace or to make right. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. But I want you to notice here in verse 21, And you who are once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. What's wrong with this world? Me. That's what's wrong with this world. You. And mostly you and a little bit of me. All of us. What's wrong? You say, well, Sam, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good girl, pretty good lady, pretty good gentleman. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. You have nothing but my praise for the person that you are. But I'm here to tell you that each and every one of us are sinners. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not one person sitting in this audience who has not sinned. I, I, would, 
I don't think I'm stretching that to make that statement. If I go to Mount Washington, I know that's the same. I can travel any place on the planet here. If you're the age of being accountable, you have sinned against God. What's wrong with this world? People who rebel against the creator of the universe. And the purpose that he has for us. And it's a rampant problem. You know, I I thought that God did, in my mind, a dangerous thing to do something in, in the garden. He gave man free will. He, he placed Adam in that garden. We're going to talk about it the next day. He placed Adam in that garden and he said, you can eat of all the trees in the garden except for one. Tell me which one you couldn't eat of. <coughs> Quick, somebody. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. One lousy tree. But it was choice. Free will. Whether you will obey, whether you will, brethren, you know what? You love God by obeying God. If you love me, you will keep my command. That's what Jesus said in John the 14th chapter. And he placed that man with choice. He had, he had the ability to choose. And we know that Eve saw that fruit and the serpent tempted her. And she partook it and she gave it to Adam. And their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked. And they hid themselves in the garden because they had rebelled against God. They had everything. And it wasn't enough. What's wrong with this world? Sin. It's not a lack of education or sophistication or government. It's the fact that people rebel against the will of God. Okay, right quick here. If everybody tomorrow said, I am going to love the Lord God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength, and secondly, I will love my neighbor as myself, And thirdly, I will love other people like Jesus Christ has loved us. What kind of world would we be living in? I gave you three rules. Three laws. The first and greatest commandment. The second likened to it. The new commandment that Jesus gave in John chapter 13. Three rules that are the purpose and the plan of Almighty God. And if you keep those three rules, you will be living in a A perfect world. That answers the next question, doesn't it? But not quite. How can what's wrong be made right? We've rebelled against God. We've sinned. Your children are going to sin. Or your grandchildren. Your friends your neighbors, your spouses, every person. How can our rebellion be made right? We can say, well, we can make that right because we're submitting to God. Absolutely, we'll get to that. But brethren, there's been a wrong that's been committed. How will that be made right? Turning your Bibles, if you would, once again, to verse 20 of our passage, Colossians chapter 1. And it says, And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable in his sight. How can what's wrong be made right? Brethren, I won't make it right. Did you know that? 
I can submit to the will of God, but I cannot make the wrongs right. Only God can. God makes the wrong right. That's it. His son coming into this world as a human being and living before us and dying on a cross made the wrongs right. That's what reconciled us, made peace with God. I want you to notice here what it does for us by him doing that. He says in verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death to present you, me, us, holy. Sounds very similar to what we find in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Blameless and irreproachable in his sight. Holy, blameless, irreproachable. The death of our Lord, the blood of his Son, has made you and I holy. That means it has brought us back to a state of being sanctified, set apart before God. It's made us blameless. That there's nothing held against me and you anymore. Because you know what? God had every right to hold something against us. That's why he says in, in chapter 1 of Romans, he said, you know, that the wrath of God is stored up or is prepared for. Because that's what it is prepared for those who do not have this covering. Made holy and blameless and irreproachable. So when somebody comes to you and says, you know, they're trying to say you're doing something wrong, he said, I hadn't done anything wrong. No matter what you're going to say, the Lord God, Lord God Almighty has made it right and continues to make it right. Now, I'll ask you right here if we get a little bit personal. Has anybody ever wronged you? Anybody ever wronged you? Sinned against you? Hurt you? Insulted you? Made you mad? Unhappy? Continually unhappy? This is yes. This is no. Okay. All right. Uh, yes. Yes, they have. Did they make it right? Answer. Sometimes. I'm here to tell you that, you know, once you let the horse out, it's hard to pull it back. Once somebody has done something wrong against you, it's hard to deal with it. You know what's going to have to happen next? Is that you'll have to make a decision to be able to make it right with that person. Did you know that? We think, well, if they do everything just right, it'll make it right. No, it won't. It won't undo what they did. It will only give you the satisfaction emotionally that they are repentant of what they have done. That does not make it right. Do you get that? Do I get that? What I've got to do is exactly what God did. And what God does to make it right is not to say, well, you do this, 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 and I'll think about it. He says, I'll give something, I'll sacrifice, so I can make it right. And you will be at peace. And you will be holy. And you will be blameless. And you will be irreproachable. I'll take care of that. And so he did. And we come to him as rebellious children and we ask for his forgiveness. And he says, somebody's already paid for you. Somebody's already paid.
One of my favorite illustrations, I, I may have shared this with you, I may not have. We'll close our class out here this morning. And Brother Josh may have used it or other. And if so, I just ask you to bear with me. It's a true story. Uh, there was a preacher, and this is, happened a long time ago, in the early 1900s. And uh, he was walking down the road one day, and he saw this child, a young boy, and he had an old cage. And in the cage, he had some starlings, some birds. And... Uh, Preacher walks past him, boys walking down the street with the birds in his cage, and he was curious and he turned around and he calls to the little boy and he said, Son, what are you going to do with those birds? And uh, he said, uh, Well, he said, I thought I'd poke at them for a while. They're starlings. You know, then, uh, you know, I, I might pull them out and pick and pull on them a little while and then I'm going to kill them. When I was growing up, we didn't treat starlings much better, just to be honest with you. Seen as a nuisance bird, aren't they? Not worth anything, right? Because of what they do. So he asked the young boy, he said, son, how much do you want for them birds? He said, man, you don't want these birds. You don't want them old birds. They're not worth anything. What will these birds be worth to you? And he said, son, what do you want for the birds? He said, he said I'll tell you what, I'll give you $5 for your starling. Now, back then, that was a whole bunch of money. He said, are you serious? Yep. The man paid the boy $5, took the cage from him, opened up the door, and let him fly free. The illustration goes like this. It's wearing a cage. Ensnared by the devil. That's what Paul wrote to Timothy. And Satan is the one who's ensnared us. And God one day asked Satan, what are you going to do with those people in that cage? He said, I thought I'd poke at them for a while, pull and hurt them, and then I'm going to kill them. What do you take for those people? You don't want these people. Have you seen them? They're rebellious and apathetic. Filled with evil. What would you want with them? He said, what do you take? He said, I'll tell you what. I'm going to give my son. I'm going to buy those people. And then he opened up the cage. And he let us go free. So this morning, who are you? You are the crowning achievement of Almighty God. What is your purpose? Before the world was, Almighty God created works, His works, in His workmanship for us to glorify Him. What's our problem? We've rebelled against Him. We've sinned. What's the solution? Someone has been given in our place that we might be set free. We just need to respond to that in the way that pleases our God. Thank you very much for your attention.